This episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by The Athletic. You can sign up now for yourself to see the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. Uh, the reporting aspect I want to focus on for a moment. 24 minutes ago at time of recording, they published Jeff Reuter's interview with Jake Edwards, president of USL, about uh, their plans for restarting and how some of those plans have already been thrown into disarray. So you're getting that sort of inside look at a league restarting. If you haven't already, you can go to theathletic.com slash totalsoccer and receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are Back and you won't want to miss the breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash total soccer for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today is not Daryl Grove. It's a footballer of a higher caliber, I would say. No disrespect to Daryl, but it's Justin Morrow of Toronto FC and the executive director of the Black Players Coalition of Major League Soccer. Justin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Um, And for notice, it's Black Players for Change. Ah, So we're getting it right. All right. so, so, So has that has that changed then or has that always been what it was and I'm just misinformed? Yeah, it changed. We did an announcement the day before the tournament started. We, we, we did an announcement that we partnered with Players Coalition, um, which was started in 2017 by Anquan Bolden um, and Malcolm Jenkins. And in that same release, we announced that we had changed our name from Black Players Coalition to Black Players for Change. All right. My, my question then is sort of the same. Uh, I have been hesitant to use an acronym. I'm not sure why, but do you have an acronym or do you prefer Black Players for Change written out? Yeah, we've been using BPC. Okay. Uh, we kind of like the way that it flows, um, but Black Players for Change is, of course, important because um, it gets directly at what we're about. That makes sense. And you mentioned Anquan Bolden there. I was going to ask you later on if you had had conversations with uh, other athletes in other leagues. It sounds like you have. How did that come to be? Yeah, the the partnership with Players Coalition started pretty much right after we announced Black Players Coalition. Um, They, having their own coalition, uh, were very interested in what we were doing. Uh, They do similar work. And, and in the vein of not wanting to reinvent the wheel, they kind of lent a helping hand and asked if we would want to join them in what they're doing. And so we figured out a way where uh, we can join their social justice initiatives and at the same time fight systemic racism inside Major League Soccer. And so that's kind of what we've been doing right now. Uh, Players Coalition uh, that partnership allows us to to join their social justice arm, which basically fights um, under a couple pillars, uh, one being narrowing the education gap, another being narrowing the economic gap, criminal justice reform, and police reform. And how how are the, like, what are the kind of processes that you envision for combating each of those things? Obviously, that's a very large question with very deep roots yeah. in the American society. So I'm not asking for your overall blueprint for how do we cure racism, but more so, <laughs> do you have concrete things you would like to see or, or things you'd like to get going or set up? No, well, that, that speaks directly to the partnership because they're already into their, I think, their fourth year now of doing exactly that. Um, and, and kind of going back to what I was saying before, we, we looked at what they're doing and thought, man, we're not going to be able to do a better job than, than what they're doing. It would take us years to get up to their speed, so let's just join in what they're doing. And I, I can give you 
entrepreneurship works and, and how they're being influential. Um, so they're affecting policy at a local and state level and, and each state in the United States, um, specifically the states where each teams are at. Um, I've been involved with initiative with um, two players from the Cleveland Browns in, in Ohio um, because I myself am from Cleveland and we're working towards ending juvenile life without parole, which still exists in Ohio. Um, the terrible thing and, and through that process, I've been able to be on calls with juveniles that have been in and out of the system so I can understand what what the problems and the issues are there. Um, the next step uh, was lending my name to a to a letter to the state representative to make sure that this bill is brought up appropriately so that we can that it can be voted uh, to end juvenile life without parole. And, and soon you'll see some more things in the news and, and, and newspapers and whatnot about bringing awareness to the issue. So these are the these are the ways that Players Coalition is going about fighting these injustices and ways that us Black players for change have been involved with them. Sticking with the juvenile life without parole uh, for a moment, or the the sort of idea that that still exists, um, obviously that is a good idea. In my opinion, that is obviously a good thing to combat and try to deal with. I'm also assuming that you would then like to sort of look at alternatives for treatment or like ways that you can go about alternative punishments or actually rehabilitating or getting classes or whatever you might need. Because from my understanding, from my experience, once you're in the system, it is very difficult to get out of that system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My experience with talking with a lot of, a lot of these juveniles was that they just felt left behind and that they, they were a second thought. Uh, I think and a lot of people think that, we, we change and we evolve as human beings as we get older and who we are at that young age before 18 doesn't, doesn't mean that's exactly who you're going to be for the rest of your life. And because these teens are pigeonholed into that situation, um, they're really left behind in the system and they're really left without a chance. So it's important to, to be able to give them that second chance because they, they have the ability and a lot of them do become outstanding citizens after the fact. And so it's, it's about highlighting that. And as you mentioned, it's about bringing attention to alternative ways that we can be helping our juveniles. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty commendable and it's a pretty strong initiative to pursue. Obviously, you all have been doing lots of different uh, sort of uh, endeavors, uh, some of them more public facing, some of them obviously more behind the scenes. Uh, we've all seen the, the images of the protests during the MLS's back tournament. I want to talk a little bit about that for a moment because last we talked, you were on your way to Orlando or not sure if you were going to be on your way to Orlando. Obviously, you did end up going. How did that whole process yeah. work out? Um, the process of going down to Orlando? Yeah. Yeah, I think just in, in general terms, in the beginning of the tournament, uh, things felt very uncertain. And I think there was a lot of um, nerves on the player's standpoint about being around other teams, uh, just being in the hotel, um, interacting, what it was going to be like. And, and then even when you get down there, for example, us in Toronto are coming from a relatively uh, safe area and that the cases are, are low and have been controlled here. Uh, and then we're going to... Florida, where that hasn't really been the case, I think we felt uncomfortable, but we weren't the only ones, and a lot of other teams felt that way too. And so, um, 
when you're hearing news of all of these different players testing positive and things spreading throughout the bubble that that just you know puts everyone on edge so i think that's what a lot of players felt in the first you know, week 10 days of the tournament until we knew that everyone was testing positive and from there on out things mm-hmm. seemed to calm down and uh, it seems to have run smoothly uh, at the semifinal tonight another one tomorrow so um, I'll be interested to see. I've been watching the whole time. I'll be interested to see how it ends out. But I think, on all, I think everyone's been happy that we can get back to playing, mm-hmm. and and we've been able, from a Black Players for Change standpoint, to use the platform in a really positive way. You, you spoke about the demonstration before the first game. That was a, a very memorable moment for me, and for a lot of my peers as well. Uh, you know, the moments being on the field with our fists raised for such a for such a long amount of time, uh, those those are memories that'll stick with me for a lifetime. And also the moment where I walked off the field and everyone started talking again and, and sharing our emotions in that moment, emotions of um, reflectiveness um, on the reason why we were out there, but also emotions of um, of happiness that we were able to accomplish that together because it did feel like it was kind of a momentous thing, and um, just really happy to be out there with all of our brothers. And, and do this thing together that was for us. What was the league's reaction to some of those protests and how involved were they in some of the decisions to protest? Yeah, so we brought that to the league. Um, you know, part of why we formed in the first place uh, was because of the response on the league's part to the death of George Floyd. You know, we didn't think that it was timely or appropriate. And so we wanted to make sure that we gave a statement and it was authentic and genuine and it came from us. And so we knew that maybe the league um, would use Orlando as a, as a platform to, to speak out on Black Lives Matter. And we wanted to make sure that we had influence. In that. So we came up with a protest idea and we brought it to the league um, because we knew with the COVID restrictions that we were going to need them to work through the logistics of it. And most importantly, we didn't want to show up on the day of the game without them knowing and and cause some type of ruckus because that would just take take away from the message that we were trying to send. So they were very receptive to it. They wanted to help us and they did help us in a massive way. Because logistically, like I said, it was a big undertaking with all the COVID restrictions. Um, but I think when everyone saw how the league was going out of their way to help us get this done, um, it really amended a little bit of a relationship there. Um, at least a first step knowing that we are going to be able to make change and we're going to need the league's hand in making that change. So they've taken like a good first step, as you said. What does it look like if that relationship continues to develop and get stronger? What are the next steps you would like to see them take or help you all facilitate taking? Yeah, so they've been incredible in that they've opened all the doors for us. Like I said, they, they helped us out with the logistics of the protest. Um, we've had direct connect, connection with the commissioner um, and high ups in, in Major League Soccer to have their ear on issues. We've also had direct connection with club CSOs, technical directors, um, knowing that if there are any issues within our Black Player Pool, we can raise them with those constituents. Um, appropriately but um like you said it's just been a first step and and so right now we're working on a long-term partnership so that we will be funded knowing that our organization 
is not going to go away um, because that's what we were built for to, to kind of hold the league accountable to all the social media messages, um, all the statements that they put out, you know, that they have to follow up on that action. And so that's what we're here for. Uh, we'll be working with them to, to increase black representation in major league soccer. You know, I, I spoke about breaking down the systemic racism issues uh, and also supporting our local black communities where a lot of these MLS clubs are, are built. I've also heard you talk a bit about implicit bias training. That's a thing that I think you all have targeted as a goal. What does that look like in uh, general and what does it look like when it comes to major league soccer? Yeah, so when you when you talk about the overarching theme of increasing black representation within the soccer world, uh, implicit bias comes into play there and knowing that these people that are in hiring positions um, have to understand what their own personal biases are so that black people can have the same opportunities that their white counterparts do. Uh, you know, cultural education courses go hand in hand in that when you're talking about um, understanding at a deeper level the roots of our issues, of the black community's issues over hundreds and hundreds of years in the United States. Today's episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. I keep trying to remember why we aren't going out more these days, and then I remember that whole pandemic thing. Uh, but HelloFresh makes it possible to feel like you're having a meal prepared by a chef, though you are the one who's actually doing the cooking. HelloFresh features many recipes each week to help you break out of your recipe rut, and there's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly options. All of those recipes feature fresh, high-quality ingredients for a super flavorful experience. In fact, over 90% of their ingredients are sourced directly from growers, to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered to your door. And their pre-portioned ingredients mean there's less prep for you and less food waste, which is always ideal. So it's fresh, it's pre-portioned, it means there won't be waste, and it means you get a good meal at the end of the day. You can go to HelloFresh.com slash ADTSS and use code ADTSS to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash ADTSS. Use code ADTSS to get $80 off. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring this this episode. Now back to Justin Morrow. How do you like, this is a, a, a complex question, but it's a complex conversation. Like I, I think about some of the conversations I have had uh, in the last month or two. And generally speaking, when it comes to older people, like my parents' uh, generation or my parents yeah. specifically, uh, there is a hesitancy to acknowledge any sort of bias, any sort of like racism that might be like, like, for whatever reason involved in your life. And, and I think that there's yeah. like, sometimes there's a little bit of like, if I admit any part of me has any sort of racist thinking, then I am a racist and I'm not a racist. So no, I won't accept that. Have you run into sort of that sort yeah. of issue? Have you run into that sort of thinking? I have had many conversations over the past month, um, month and a half, two months, very difficult conversations along the lines of what you're talking about. And to be honest, it's just been really tiring. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of having to explain racism because uh, you get the question a lot of, you know, what does racism look like in Major League Soccer? And so we've had meetings with, as I've mentioned, all constituents at every level, and it, it just gets tiring of explaining it. And so I'm, I'm ready to move past that because I do think there is an acknowledgement there, finally. Mm -hmm. um, which is an um, important first step, but I'm really excited to get into the action because 
uh, it's really heavy stuff. And, and like you said yourself, it's important that people acknowledge it and it's important that people know, but um, more important that we start making the changes so that these things don't exist anymore. You know, I, I, I can't remember who said it, but they said it so well. Um, one of my, one of my peers recently said that they're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And I feel that same way, you know, it's, it's just over and over and over again. And and I feel the burden uh, there in that sense, but I'm, I'm energized by the challenge of now starting to get into action um, and making the change that we've been talking about for months now. You may have already addressed this, but I, I wanted to talk about that for a moment because talking about the murder of George Floyd, systemic institutional racism, police brutality, everything else is not exactly the lightest of topics. And it's a necessary conversation, but you are now the face or one of the faces of this movement, which means you're asked about it a lot. How are you handling that sort of emotional weight of having to, not necessarily having to, but being in a position where you're talking about this, but you're simultaneously trying to be a professional athlete and dealing with coronavirus at the same time? I'm imagining it's a decent weight to have to carry. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my best to find a balance. And I think that changes daily, you know, different demands that are put on me. Uh, between being a professional athlete versus being part of this organization versus being the head of this organization. Like you said, they all impart different challenges and I, I take them head on um, and I'm, I'm mindful of what's needed of me in the moment. I just do my best to balance all of that with also my family who's, who's going through a stressful time with, with mm-hmm. COVID as is everyone's families, right? They're all yeah. very uncertain times. Um, so, so like everyone, I'm, I'm rolling with the punches and I feel the burden of, of having to, to speak over and over again to racism. Um, but I also know that this is a fight that's been fought over hundreds of years and that I'm just a small cog in, in what this big idea is. And that idea is, is fighting for racial equality and that fight never really stops. It never stops. Mm-hmm. And so I'm proud to be, be a part of it and, and play my role. And, and I'm taking on all these different um, positions kind of as they come with, with as much grace as I can. Another sort of strange question, but one that I've been wondering is I keep hearing the narrative that like we've never been this divided. The country is so torn apart and so at odds. And, and how do we move forward? And to some extent, I don't really agree with that. I feel like this is the first time in my lifetime that so many people have been on the same page and been willing to acknowledge uh, issues of racism and systemic violence and and everything else that seems to be happening in this country. Like, do yeah, you feel yeah. like like you all could have organized five years ago or ten years ago, or do you think it takes this sort of unique moment, this sort of unique momentum, to be able to unify as effectively as you all have? Yeah. So there's a couple of things at play there. Um, I don't disagree with you. I think that there is a lot of unity there um, around the topics that are that are happening, that are at the forefront of our of our country and, and our world right now. But I, I see it through two different lenses. Um, on the world level, everyone seems to be on the same page about about fighting this virus, um, COVID, and also attacking racism for what it is and, and the fact that it still exists in our world today. We're unified on that front, and I think in our world over here in North America, specifically in the United States, it is divisive in that we have leader 
here that does not try to bring our country together in any sense of the way and, and everything that he says and, and does splits us apart. And and so I see it through two different lenses in that sense, but I am hopeful and, and Black Players for Change has been a part of that and that we were able to, to organize off the death of George Floyd and, and, and that's what it's finally took to, to make sure that we got together, but also uh, this pandemic happened, right? So everyone's sitting at home uh, with nothing to do for, for months on end and they were forced to, to finally take a look inside racism in the United States and the world and, and see how it plays out. And they couldn't hide from it anymore. They couldn't turn their eyes away from it. And so that has what has been giving the spark um, to this movement right now. And so I am hopeful because of that, because uh, it's just a different time than we've ever experienced before in our lifetimes. And, and certainly I think a lot of other people's lifetimes as well. And so um, while I do think that we are unified on, on this issue, we are divided in, in other ways. Uh, Jeremy was on the show and uh, talked about and had pre- previously written about the idea that, like, there have been incidents like this before. There has been sort of a swell of emotion or mo- momentum that then fades. Uh, how do you think, like, you can continue to keep attention? You can continue to keep people aware of the movement, aware of what you all are doing without it sort of being another another situation of, yeah, like, this is r- really upsetting and really wrong but now there's sports to be played. Now there's other stuff going on and it sort of fades from memory. Yeah. I mean, we're fighting a microcosm of that just in these past weeks. Um, since the beginning of the Orlando tournament, we came out with a big statement and, and now it's like, okay, so what's next? And, and we internally work through that, knowing that the burden is on us as an organization to make sure that this never, this never dies out. So we feel that, you know, we feel that demand there to to start working on the next thing to be like, all right, you know, what's what's coming up next? What's going to make the world change? What's going to what's going to put some emphasis behind all of these things that we've been talking about and make sure that we do our part in, in breaking this cycle of violence that's been happening in the United States and throughout the world for a lot of years. And uh, in terms of the work you all are doing, are there things that have been missed or incorrectly stated that you'd like to correct? Or has the coverage mostly been on point? Like I know some uh, ignorant podcasters still call it the Black Players Coalition as opposed to Black Players for Change. So like that right there, maybe. Uh, But I'm wondering if there's anything else that you think has been overlooked or maybe not uh, as addressed as you would like. No, I would just like to give a lot of credit to my peers in the league. You know, not only the guys that have been directly involved with Black Players for Change, but everyone. Uh, everyone in the full player pool has taken the time to to say a good message to me or to other board members on Black Players for Change and support, um, lending their hand, lending their voice, anything that they want to do. Like I said, we've had tons and tons of meetings and, and we're collaborating with a lot of people. And so it's it's the wheels are in motion. You know, things are happening and we couldn't do anything. We put out a video to say as much that we couldn't do anything without the help of everyone. Um, in this league and this MLS ecosystem. And and so a lot of the change that's going to happen is going to come with the help of everyone. And I would just, I would just like to say thanks for, for everyone's voices so far that has, that have spoken up, please continue to, to speak up because that's what we need. And, and when it's time and we say, this is what we need you to do to make the change, please, please join us in, in holding hands and, and walking forward in the lead of this battle uh, because that's what we're going to need you to do. 
and and to my peers and, and black players for change. You guys have done an amazing job. And I think what people don't speak about and what makes our organization so special is that it's completely led by the players. Like we have meetings weekly and the players show up and, and no administrators are there and, and nobody's getting paid to do this, but we show up because we want to do it. And we know that it's important and we're fighting for the future generations uh, within Major League Soccer to know that those young black uh, kids on the streets playing right now um, and the fields playing right now know that they they have a chance because we're fighting for them. What about the voices inside of the various locker rooms? Are these conversations that have like been being had? <laughs> That's great grammar, I'm sure. Uh, or is like is that something <laughs> that you've experienced lately? Like, is there more willingness to talk about these things inside the locker room, or does it stay pretty sort of sanitized in there? Not just from a COVID perspective, but from a talking about difficult conversations perspective. I've had more conversations over the past weeks than I've ever had in my career about this topic. Uh, with with my teammates um, and certainly teammates that aren't of color, so that's that's been refreshing. But it goes back to what I what I said a little bit earlier about before. It's it's, it's heavy stuff, mm-hmm. so uh, I never get tired of it. But I'm always cognizant of of that fact, and so I'm I'm happy that these conversations are happening, and I just want to make sure that they continue to happen and that people are taking away what they need to take away from it, so that we can make this change and. And Black Players for Change is, is going to help in that sense um, by, by forcing all of these parties to not only acknowledge it, but to, to put actions in place. And so um, one of these things that we're talking, we're talking about specifically about the locker room right now and, and talk about um, culture education classes. And I think that is what will go a long way towards towards not only the acknowledgement, but seeing what's understood to, to change action, to, to, to change how people really affect this world. But obviously there are people in the locker room who do have differing opinions, differing beliefs. I'm assuming that's the case at national team level as well. Is there some is there like some pushback? Is there some back and forth of like, well, we had a black president, so everything is solved. Like not to that degree. I have heard that argument. Uh, I do not love that argument. But like, is there still some pushback or mostly are the voices just quieter uh, than they would have been in the past? Um, I, I personally haven't had so much pushback. Um, I know in conversations with other black players that they've heard other things contrary to what I've heard. And so I don't want to say that that pushback doesn't exist. Uh, It's kind of like more what you said, that maybe the voices are a little bit more silent Mm -hmm. than they have been in the past. But I think it's, I think it's important to hear the pushback if, if there is pushback at all, because those are the conversations that need to be had. And when I talk about our conversation, Mm -hmm. this is the time to have them because if we're not having them now, then when? This is Taylor interrupting one more time to say that today's episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Manscaped. You know Manscaped. We've talked about them many times. They're a company dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. They have products for all the hairs that you don't want to think about, be they coming out of your ears, nose, face, chest, or downstairs bits. That's how we say it. Uh, the Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, 3.0-3.0, water-resistant cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine if you're trying to get your 
fingernails under control. Their Shears 2.0 set is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, including slash hip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. They all come in a nice little package, so you don't have to worry about where they are. You're not going to have them spread out all over the place or somewhere in your dock kit. They're just going to be roaming around. You have them all in one nice contained little unit. Uh, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS20. Summer is here. It's time to Manscaped. Say the people at Manscaped. Uh, says me, it's time to talk more to Justin Morrow. Youth soccer is also a fairly uh, difficult conversation to have for any number of reasons. What do you think like you all could do or what do you all aim to do to get more minority kids involved in soccer? Because soccer, I think, in this country, especially travel soccer at an elite level when it comes to youth level, is like seen as a very white sport, a very suburban white sport at that. What are some things that you would like to see happen to sort of broaden that a bit more? Yeah, two things. I'm um, I'm educating myself on the the pay to play model. I'm a product of it, uh, but I know that it has evolved a lot since uh, I was uh, five to you know teenage years old. And so I want to really understand it. Um, if it's a model that we cannot get away from, which I think maybe we can, but if it's a model that we can't, then uh, we have to make sure that. Uh, people in underserved communities are having the same opportunities to to join just like their their more affluent counterparts. And so does that mean redistributing wealth um, to those situations in, in terms of scholarships, in terms of grants and funds so that we make sure that black kids can 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 be a part of the game just like everyone else. And so that's what we're exploring right now. And another thing that we're that we think that we have to be as professional soccer players at the top of the pyramid. Uh, We have to be better mentors to, to our younger peers, you know, certainly in the MLS academies, but even down to the lower levels as well to make sure that our faces are visible and that um, these players can interact with us and and bounce issues, questions, ideas off of us um, so that they know what it takes to get to our level and that we are helping them out in that process. Know that they have a helping hand because if you look at black representation, even down at the academy level, it's lower than that. Uh, there's not a lot of black head coaches, mm-hmm. and, and it's important for these young black players to to be receiving advice and be able to learn from from people that look like them because um, they receive the information maybe a little bit different. So my my like understanding when it comes to the lack of black coaches, and I'm aware that this could be a dramatic oversimplification, it's not necessarily that like teams just won't hire black coaches. It's more so that – I mean that may be part of it, but it's my understanding it's more so that what it takes to get into a position where you could be eligible to be hired and the amount of money required to get those licenses, to get those coaching certifications – is such an inhibiting obstacle that it prevents a lot of people from pursuing that. Is that a thing that you would like to see, like 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 scholarships or like helping with funding to maybe make it more uh, like sort of attainable for for lots of different people, as opposed to the people who can afford to take three weeks off to get their C license or however long it takes. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the conversations that we've run into, we're uh, hearing what you're saying that the qualifications aren't there. And I'm not sure that's necessarily true, but um, as we 
dive deeper into the data and into the process it, it takes to, to get these licenses, then yes, um, you know, making sure that all coaching opportunities um, for all different backgrounds are there um, in terms of, of funding scholarships uh, and just a roadmap so that these these young um, coaches can, can get to the area that they need to get to. We've talked about a lot of like heavy topics, obviously. Um, what did you do in in the bubble during the tournament to sort of blow off steam? Like, do you have a preferred show you're going with? Is there a video game you go for? Is there something you read? Like, what do you do when you sort of just need to turn your brain off for a little while? Man, I to be honest, I was I was soccer in the morning and and black players for change in the afternoon. And that's what I was focused on. Um, I also I picked up an injury while I was down there, and so. Uh, I was rehabbing that. So my days were, were certainly filled. Um, and in the meantime, I was talking to my family back, back here in mm-hmm. Toronto. So there wasn't, there wasn't actually much downtime for me, but I know that, that guys enjoyed, uh, you know, being, being connected through the rooms. We all had our individual rooms down there. So uh, I know guys each brought, you know, their, <laughs> their entertainment system, whether it's some type of gaming system, and then it would be online playing. Um, I know our guys in Toronto like to play cards a lot, so they're playing cards in the cards room. And I think people found that, like you're saying, that appropriate time to take a breather. And I know tech ball was popular too. Tech ball? Yeah, tech ball, the the um, the soccer tennis game. Oh, okay, yeah, right on, right on, nice. Who, who's who? Yeah. At least from Toronto, who's the biggest trash talker when you're playing cards or when you're playing tech ball? Like who who sort of augments their skill with a little bit of trash talk? Oh, Alejandro Pozuelo. Yeah, he's, he's, I would say on 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 both sides on ten and on cards. He's he's involved. He loves to get out there. He loves being around the guys. He's, he's a really good guy. He's been a great addition to our team. He's just got a really good personality to him. Uh, really jovial and, and you know brightens up a lot of people's days. And does Michael Bradley have as good of a poker face as I would assume he has? Yeah, I think you're spot on in that case. He doesn't uh, he doesn't show his hand too very often. <laughs> that's that's about what I figured. So, all right, so you weren't you weren't uh, participating in those games then? No cards for you? No trash talking for you? No, no. <laughs> At no, all. But I'd love to pop my head in and see how the guys are doing. Uh, final question for you before I let you go. Again, thank you for being so generous with your time. Uh, for people who would like to support the organization, how can they do so, either directly or indirectly? Yes, there's lots of ways. Uh, we're on socials. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check us out, Black Players for Change. We're accepting donations. Um, we are collaborating with a lot of partnerships right now in, in the works. So please reach out to us uh, via social, um, and and we will get in touch with you. Uh, we appreciate everyone's support. Like I said, we're going to need everyone, everyone to get this done so thank you and thank you again for uh for having us on the initial phone call and for taking the time today justin i really appreciate it all right thanks again Taylor.